This is exactly right. We're going to have technology. We're using it. We need it. But we're also having, you know, screen-free time. Don't let your child miss out on some of the most valuable things of running around outside, building a fort outside, chasing friends, playing tag, all these wonderful things that most of us as parents can think back on. And, and it was happiness. It was joy. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host, and let me tell you about Parent Footprint. Our mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We also firmly believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is Unplugged Play. I'm excited to introduce our guest, Bobby Connor. Bobby created the award-winning nationwide public radio series, The Parents Journal, and hosted the program for 24 years. She's the author of The Giant Book of Creativity for Kids and Everyday Opportunities for Extraordinary Parenting. We are going to be talking about her three new books, Unplugged Play, one for toddlers, preschool, and for grade school kids. Her public radio program, audio interviews, books, and articles have been featured in USA Today, Newsweek, The Washington Post, Parade, Parents, Parenting, CBS This Morning, and PBSParents.org. Bobby lives in South Carolina. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm always excited to talk to a parenting expert um, and one with the amount of experience and wealth uh, that you bring. and. The first thing that I'm just so interested in is how did you become, what was your path to becoming a parenting expert? Well, first of all, I really feel that I was a broadcast journalist that interviewed all these top-notch child development experts. And so I'm always a little humble and saying, well, I did a lot of great interviews about parenting and I don't necessarily consider myself a parenting expert, but I was a great gatherer of information. And when I first had my own children, my first was a son many years ago, and I was in public radio at the time as a producer. And I looked around and I thought, there are no national programs on public radio to help parents. And really, honestly, that was the whole starting point of, well, I'll have to do something about that. And I got started with an idea that took off over the years. And it was a nationally syndicated public radio program that was on air for 24 years. 
So what year what year was that? Because it's so interesting as we look at what parenting has become and the amount of resources for parenting that there was no show for parenting. So I started the show in 1986 hmm. and it really took off in a big way. Um, and obviously there were lots of magazines, you know, there was a lot of stuff out there for parents, loads of books. The situation's changed a lot now with many things online, but in those days it was kind of print and radio and TV. Mm-hmm. And when we think about it, though, it has not been that long that parenting has has been, as I heard once, that I, I forget what year it was in the literature when parenting actually became a verb. Like parenting right. wasn't really <laughs> talked about. Um, um, it, it, I mean, it's it's always been a job, but now it's it, it's it's really a job um, with 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 many many layers. What? Um, and I know you're draw, drawing back on so many interviews and so many years. Like, what trends did you see evolve over those the, the two and a half decades of the radio show? Well. That was sort of an interesting journey for me. As you're suggesting, Dr. Dan, so much has changed, really, just in how parents see themselves, how they seek information and all, and, and then some trends in parenting. I did my first pilot program, so this would have been a little before 1986, with Dr. Benjamin Spock. I got mm -hmm. to know him and wow. his family at the time, and he was willing to be my first guest, so to speak. And back then, at the start of the Parents' Journal, honestly, in addition to talking to your family for some wisdom and tips about parenting, you know, people bought a couple key parenting books. Um, and even prior to that, there weren't as many parenting books, to tell you the truth. Uh, mm -hmm. There were there was kind of a core group of really well-known parenting experts. And then from then, it evolved in so many different ways over the next 24 years. Um, but the focus of the kind of show I did sounds similar to what you're all about, Dr. Dan. I wanted parents to sort of be the best guides that they could be for their kids, to be understanding, to have the very best wisdom that they could come up with of, oh, well, how do I do that? What about discipline? What about friendships? What can I do to help facilitate these things? What about sibling squabbles? So to be pretty thoughtful and mindful about what skills can I develop so that I'm not just winging it all the time. And I think that was a big theme, um, in, especially in the middle ground of those years of my parenting program is people really put a high value on what can I learn uh, from some of the experts that know a lot about child development what can they tell me that's going to make my life easier, my kids' life richer, and make me a better parent? And then from there till now, um, now it's kind of a different situation. To be honest with you, everybody in the world is an expert. With social media, <laughs> yeah. you can just, you or I or every single person on our blocks um, where we live can just pop out there, hey, here's the way I did this and that and the other. And so from my opinion, um, you need a pretty good filtering system to figure out, now let me think about that. Does that sound good? Is that going to match up with my child and our family beliefs and, and so on? So I feel like parents still have the job of analyzing things and thinking, 
yeah, that sounds like a pretty good fit. Okay, I like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, a huge trend difference is the amount of accessible information about parenting from so many different sources um, and resources. And But something you said, which is so important, um, we're always trying to empower parents to listen to themselves about their their own parenting and their own children because there you get so many you know outside people telling you what you should be doing and we know there are so many different approaches and so many different circumstances when it comes to raising kids absolutely and you know that's one of the beautiful things when i look back on both my own raising of my kids but also all the years i've i've focused on parents and parenting the really wonderful thing is you get to be who you are. You get to be, if you love science, if you love art, if you love nature, you get to share all of those things you love, your passions with your kid, and you get to mold things around some of those activities. Um, if you're the kind of parent that wants your kids to jump on the beds, you get to do that. If you're the parent that thinks, I'm not going down that road, you get to do that. Really, there's only a small amount of things that I think that are are sort of off limits. you got to be real careful about safety. I mean, there, there are things on the list that you have to attend to and take care of. But once you pass those things about health, safety, well-being of your kids, there really is a lot of wiggle room to make your style of parenting fit who you are, Mm -hmm. who your partner is, or if you're a single parent, who you are, and who your kids are. That's the other thing that's not really one size fits all as far as parenting. You have to tweak things a little bit for the Mm -hmm. personality and temperament of your child. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really love your one of your previous titles, Everyday Opportunities for Extraordinary Parenting, because um, it, it, it makes me think about all of the mindful micro moments that we have with our kids. Um, can you just can you tell the listeners just a little bit about that book so they can um, access that resource as well? Yes. Yeah, so that book really was a spinoff from this long-term public radio program that we're talking about. And it really was just kind of compiling the very best of the information that I learned from all these parenting experts, child development experts, really, from all over the country, a few from outside the U.S., and kind of distilling it into Here's how kids develop friendship skills. Here's how kids develop empathy. Here's how kids learn to share. I mean, there were just all these kind of almost like a cliff note sort of approach to here are the, the principles. Here's some little everyday ways to work that sharing into your family life, to work that creativity, which was something I'm really big on, into your parenting life. So it really was looking for small moments mm-hmm. in everyday life to have a huge impact on your child. Wonderful. And that is key, um, not only in our current times, but also in everyday times is, you know, we sometimes start to worry about these big concepts and, you know, these big values and these big goals for our kids. And yet life is happening on an everyday moment by moment basis. And many of life's life's moments are not that, um, don't seem incredibly noteworthy 
And yet at the same time, every moment, every interaction, every opportunity uh, goes into your child's growth and life experience. Absolutely. And by the style of family that you are, what your values are, how you spend your time, just for example, that the fact, I know everybody's busy, especially with the pandemic, there's so much stress. But if your family carves out a little bit of time, for example, for family game night, or, oh, well, we take walks in our family, you know, twice a week after dinner, or every Sunday we do this and that and the other, those kind of things, they're just little moments, as you say, but they're done sometimes over and over and over. And those experiences sort of get piled up upon each other. And the kids think, oh, in our family, that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in thinking about leading our way to Unplugged, um, I will want us to, to, to spend a little time talking about the transition of, I mean, Unplugged, we didn't have, that wasn't even a concept not that long ago. That's right. Um, <laughs> right? And I'm recalling, my wife and I were just talking about this with like, we were the, we were the holdouts as long as we could with um, videos in the car. Right. There was this time and now this seems like so long ago because we, you know, now every, you know, kids have a smartphone <laughs> and iPads and all this stuff. But like we were going to hold out that when we drive to the mountains, um, which was a place that we went a lot, like it's about looking out the window when we'd see all these minivans with um, video screens in the back of the, you know, of the seats. Um, and then eventually after a few years and our kids, of course, loving going in other people's cars where they could do this, we finally broke down and we bought a portable one that we could right. pull out on really long drives, road trips, because, you know, Hey, not a bad idea. So things have come so far. I'm wondering what have you seen from the reality of, uh, of technology entering the the four both and I, and here's a two part question both from parenting but also from a child's experience knowing how much you care about creativity. Well, certainly we um, as individuals and as a society, our lives are richer in a lot of ways. I, I think about especially the pandemic because of technology. The fact that we can Zoom with somebody on the West Coast from the East Coast, carving pumpkins together with, uh, you know, a niece at one end and me at the other end, and we're carving pumpkins to feel like we're connecting. Okay, technology can be wonderful in, in many different ways. I'm just using that example about how it can help us maintain our connections. But on the other hand, as far as kids, if kids are sitting um, in front of screens, um, both, you know, for playtime, that, that might be their default. And, and then now that a lot of classes are online and they just have to, out of necessity, sit in front of a, a laptop or uh, a tablet or something, they're missing out on things. And so it really is a balancing act for parents, I think. And the parents have to be, they have to set the pace in their family. They don't have to go along, just like what you said with you and your wife. They don't have to go along with what everybody else is doing. They can say, well, yes, okay, we're going to have technology. We're using it. We need it. But we're also having, you know, screen-free time and they can have a schedule. So I really feel like it's up to the individual family to carve out what works for them. But I would just caution everybody, please don't let your child 
miss out on some of the most valuable things of running around outside, building a fort outside, chasing friends, playing tag, all these wonderful things that most of us as parents can think back on. And, and it was happiness. It was joy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, and to be fair, um, I didn't want to sound like we made this really um, holier-than-thou decision. My wife and I also talk about, we just feel in many ways grateful that we didn't have the same challenges raising young children with technology. You know, by the time technology became a regular thing, our kids were teenagers, which, you know, presents its own set of um, challenges. But it's very different than when I think about our son who loved to play in boxes and you reminded me building forts. And if there was an iPad for him, um, knowing how much he eventually dove into all of those games, it, it would have been hard, right, to, at times to redirect. So, so this is a really, it's challenging because, and agreeing with you, I mean, we'll, we'll talk shortly about the pandemic, about how technology is, is really keeping us connected. Outside of that um, major situation, it, these games and the, um, there's so much stimuli that they're designed to keep us all, all of us, kids and adults, hooked all the time. So to it, how critical it is to try to develop some boundaries, some structure, so there is a balance, but just acknowledging it, it's, it's hard. It, it's not easy. It isn't easy. But, but the other thing that, Dr. Dan, something you just said, it's true that these electronic games do sort of get kids hooked. There's an excitement, there's flashing, there's noises, there's lights, you know, colors, all kinds of stuff. But what I want to get kids hooked on is the idea of creating their own play, either solo play or creating their own creative kind of things, uh, activities. Um, or maybe with their family or with a, a friend that's in their pod or whatever, or, or a, a sibling. But back to what can they get hooked on? Get hooked mm-hmm. on this concept. Look what I invented. Look what I made up in my own yeah. imagination. Mm-hmm. Look at the song I just created. Look mm-hmm. at, you know, these games that we just did outside. It was so much fun. Look at this fort. That's what I'm most concerned about, to be pretty blunt with you, and that's why I wrote Unplug Play, is I want every child in the world to say, I did that. I'm capable. I'm competent. I'm creative. I know how to make fun for myself. Mm-hmm. And others. I remember. I remember this distinctly. I'm. I'm a bit older now. My kids are grown. They're in their thirties. I remember very well when I was about six years old, swinging on the backyard swing set in Ohio, where I grew up near Lake Erie, mm-hmm. and it. And I was singing a song, and it just hit me that I could take whatever the song was, you know, it was a song that kids knew and were singing, uh, young kids. And I took that song and I plugged new words in and I created my own song. And that's kind of a goofy little moment to remember many, many years later. But the significance of it to me was, aha, I can write a song. And then from there, of course, you can build upon it and you can learn music. And But I'm just saying those kind of aha moments 
Mm-hmm. can come when you give kids the opportunity to make their own fun, invent their own play, uh, play some outdoor game or indoor game or you know their own little putt-putt course or miniature golf course that they created in the living room. Create some of these games and then tweak it. Oh, look at that. That is so cool. We had so much fun. That's what I'm going for. And you remember that you know, how many years later. So obviously there's these magical moments that are created and we could probably argue um, with some degree of accuracy that those moments are remembered, just as remembered more than screen moments. And I'm not minimizing, you know, I, I'm not minimizing screen. I'm just talking about the different types of brain connections and memories that are created when one creates and is in that imagination and, um, and that, that, that fantasy dream world um, that kids have seemingly much more access to at, at times than adults. But also not just the memory because of the, that had a, you know, that kind of grabbed me in, in my gut um, as a, as a aha moment. But then if a kid gets really excited about writing songs, just as an example, or writing poems or whatever, then they're building upon that and building upon it. So now it's not just that one little moment, but now they're running with this idea. Hey, I like to make stuff up in the way of stories and songs and stuff. And then part of what that memory is about is a whole variety of experiences that took off for that kid. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the pandemic and um, the funny or not so funny thing is when we started, when we were recording the podcast um, during the pandemic, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we had this this debate on the show. It's like, okay, we need to make these things evergreen. So, you know, the pandemic's going to end. So let's have some on the pandemic, but then let's have some that stand the test of time. And uh, I think many of us are realizing that uh, a show that takes into account the pandemic is unfortunately evergreen in the sense that um, th- this things are going to be with us for a while and um, we're going to need to stay safe. We're going to need to keep distance and we're going to need to continue to be uh, creative in the face of some limitation of usual um, experiences. And so this is so, your book about unplugged play is, is so relevant now because we also know that screen use plugged being plugged in has been for, for good reason on the rise since the pandemic. But also I can attest to several of, of, of my clients and the families that we serve, you know, it's also the default. It just becomes the default when time just morphs and there's, it just in this different world we're living in. So, so tell us about like, let's dive into unplugged play and how adults can create these opportunities for kids of all ages. So part of the thinking um, for these three unplugged playbooks for toddlers, preschoolers, and grade school kids was it wasn't enough for parents to just say, okay, it's four o'clock now, just go on outside and play. Because kids need ideas. (laughs) They need something to hook them into this, you know, idea of playing outside or, or, or creating something in their bedroom that's creative. So really, these are idea books. They're, they're hundreds of games and activities and clever little things that kids can do at each of these age groups with just 
minimal materials. These aren't books that require you to go out and buy a whole bunch of stuff. This is, these are games and activities that can be done with household items, laundry basket, balls, uh, art supply, basic art supplies, stuff like that. And so, so that's kind of the starting point is kids need ideas. And with these books, you can pick, let's say for preschoolers, you just can pick a game, um, and I sort of alluded to this. Uh, this is a good example. The parents can say, "Hey, let's play a game of ping pong roll along." And what this book is—I mean, what this game is uh, from the book—and this would be for preschool kids—is you just gather up um, a couple of clean fly swatters and a couple of ping pong balls and then just household objects and you're going to create in the living room or in the child's bedroom or in the den or somewhere that's a sizable room you and your child are quickly going to create a little miniature golf course and instead of putting the ball you're basically going to sweep the ball around this little obstacle course course. And so that's just an example of number one, something fun child's never played before. You know, you're gathering up a bunch of little supplies together in the house. But then the key thing, Dr. Dan, is you're playing this together to get it mm -hmm. started. So you're introducing, you know, hey, here's something fun. This will only take a couple minutes. Let's get it set up and let's play. And the idea is then the kids, they usually they get a kick out of it and then they kind of, you know, maybe tweak the game a little bit. Um, similar kind of idea for unplugged play since I mentioned uh, fly swatters for older kids. This was actually one of the biggest hits in the book. And it's the idea of kids outside, older kids, uh, grade school kids, and you, or, and you maybe you'll have a child, two siblings or a child and a parent, and you're going to have either a blown up little beach ball or a balloon if the kids are old enough and safety is not an issue with balloons. And you're each going to have, again, a clean fly swatter. And you're out in the backyard playing this um, fly swatter volleyball is the name of this one. And it's just fun running around, trying to keep the balloon or the beach ball up in the air with fly swatters. You can make up your rules. You can make it almost like a real, um, you know, tennis type of a game with rules, or you can just run around and have fun. But I mentioned those two because super simple, hardly take any explanation at all, simple props, try it, see if your child buys in and says, hey, that was fun. Can we do that again, you know, next Sunday or whatever? That's what this is all about. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, some are going to be more fun than others, which is why you have um, a plethora of ideas in these books. And that's the other idea. Every child is not the same. I mean, some kids are going to uh, gravitate towards the really boisterous, crazy, wild, running around games, um, you know, sometimes. And then other kids will say, well, I really like the artsy things. And I really like the theater, the the pretend play stuff. And so you got to mix it up. I mean, not you don't want to pigeonhole a child. You want to give them an assortment of ideas, some that are quiet time games, some that are solo activities, some that are running around outside activities. And you, you really have to know your child. How did you gather all of these and come up with all of these different unplugged activities? It was a really fun process. So I I would say out of the, I think there's about 600 and some games in these three books now. Out That's of, it? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out of, out of that number of games, um, I, you know, I tested them out. It, it got the supplies, tested everything out, used kids in the neighborhood. I had a mom help me. We gathered up lots of kids of different ages, tested them out, got rid of some of the games that we thought, eh, that's not so much fun. Kept the ones, tweaked them a little bit. But really, the starting point was about a third of the games and activities in these books are what I would call classic kind of games that we, we might remember bits and pieces of from when we were kids. So there's some classics in there, classic activities. About a third of them are ideas that um, really creative preschool teachers and, and PE teachers and art teachers kind of shared with me over the years when I was in the process of writing. And then a third of these I just made up out of thin air. The two that I mentioned to you, ping pong roll along and the fly swatter volleyball are in that third category where I just got some supplies and thought, okay, what can we do with this? Oh, that works. And then had kids test it out. So that's kind of the one third, one third, one third mix of the activities. Nice. And knowing how many creative kids, um, are in our community and are out there, you know, they take these activities and then they might put their own little spin on it and it involves into a different version of one of the games. That's the fun thing that I love about this is that if you watch kids playing these things and then especially if there's, you know, two or more kids, everybody has their opinion. And the next thing you know, it's morphed into a whole different way of doing things. We, we mentioned the forts and hideouts. Um, and even as wintertime approaches uh, in areas where it's colder climates and kids are going to be indoors more, I really love the idea. And my kids got so much out of this, of the idea of making pillow forts in the kids' bedrooms where they're using cushions, cushions from the couch and, you know, chairs and props. And my kids did that for weekend after weekend at a certain stage mm -hmm. in their childhood where they got the greatest pleasure out of working together, creating the fort in, in my son's bedroom, and then dragging things in, you know, props and things to make a camp out or a spaceship or whatever they were doing. That kind of stuff really takes on its own life, as you say, once the kids mm -hmm. get going with it. Mm -hmm. Um so many memories of my brother and I making the coolest forts in one of our rooms or the family room. And it's like, you have this whole world in there. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's how to bring all of these opportunities and ideas back to our kids, particularly when we have lots of technology around us all the time. And it is part of our life. But one of the biggest things that I see as a motivation to do this kind of playtime, either with your kids or just to introduce them and hope that they're going to do some solo play like this that's screen-free play, is that there's joy. I mean, it, it, when you see your kids laughing and having a great time, or if you get a parent, or let's say two parents, out on the back lawn, and they're going to do that goofy game. It's like a relay race of wheelbarrow races where somebody holds the other person's ankles and then they're walking on their hands. I mean, this is funny stuff. And so whatever you can come up with that just injects a little laughter, a little joy, a little lighthearted, you know, put all the stress and the worries behind for just a half hour of a day. That's a big deal right now. Mm-hmm. Do you have, I know you told us um, 
the um, you just gave us the ones that you came up with with the fly swatters, um, and that that those may be your favorite ones. But I'm just wondering if there's one one that's a highlight for you that you'd recommend for each of each of the books, um, toddler, preschool, and grade school for a parent to try one for each, which seems to be very popular. Okay, so for toddlers, I'll say um, the the idea of I mean, this all sounds super simple, but this really entertains a toddler. If you get a um, plastic or um, laundry basket, turn it on its side, prop it up at the end of the hall or the doorway, and give your child a little bowl of balls, toddler safe balls, and then give a little quick demo of, and this one is called a kitchen soccer, but this is a great game. You might be busy cooking dinner, your toddler's, you know, underfoot and, and needs to entertain herself or himself. And kids will get a real kick out of standing back, you know, three feet, six feet away from the laundry basket, rolling the ball. And then, of course, you can play another variation where you just sit the laundry basket upright. You create little paper balls just with, you know, pieces of kind of copy paper, and you, sh you give a little demo again of tossing the balls, standing back 10 feet, three feet, whatever, tossing the balls in the laundry basket. Now, the reason I mention those is, is it will give a child a little bit of fun, but they're super simple. And that's, you know, part of what I was after here. Mm -hmm. Same thing mm -hmm. with bean bags. I, I encourage parents of toddlers to have bean bags on hand. Um, there's loads of art ideas that you can do with your kids too, that are pretty simple toddler oriented. Um, for preschool kids, um, I'm big on parent and child guessing games. Um, again, you work these games into a busy lifestyle. So dad might be cooking dinner or maybe cooking breakfast on a Sunday morning. Mom might be cooking and you have the preschooler sitting there in the kitchen and you pick one of these uh, guessing games like griddle riddles. And this is just an idea where the parent says, I'm thinking of a favorite food that grandma really liked to show us how to make her, you know, you, you come up with some family history and you give clues and the kids guess, or else the kids say, I'm thinking of something really sweet, you know, that's purple or whatever. So again, you're just looking for opportunities to come up with games in your everyday moments. I think that's part of the beauty of, you know, what Unplug Play is all about. It doesn't have to be like fireworks going off and, and <laughs> one, you know, special thing. And then when it comes to the older kids, the grade school kids, one of my absolute favorites that I, now this does seem to get a big reaction from kids. This is a little more spectacular. So many parents have told me that their kids loved the one giant floor drawing. And so this is an idea. You got to pick your time on when it's okay to section off a part of the dining room or the kitchen or someplace where you have a wooden floor, a linoleum floor, something like that. And you just get these huge sheets of either newsprint or um, a roll of butcher paper, you know, the white long roll mm -hmm. of paper. But yep. the idea is that you cover 
half of the room or a third of the room with these sheets of paper and just use a little invisible tape. And then your kids have the, the fun and the excitement of making a super huge floor drawing. They might draw a picture, you know, they might draw a landscape, something or other, or dogs and cats, whatever is of their interest. But what a lot of kids gravitate towards these older kids, they create a village. So they draw a little castle or a moat and they, they draw, you know, buildings and they draw a stream running through this big, huge floor drawing. Next thing you know, they're bringing in their cars and their trucks and their little people and their soldiers or whatever. So that one, the one giant floor drawing, it's impressive to kids just because mom or dad lets them kind of take over the kitchen floor or the dining room floor for a part of the day. And you'd be surprised how many kids will keep going with this activity Mm -hmm. really for hours. They keep thinking of things. I have uh, some journalist interviewed me um, and showed, sent me later a picture of her son who had created a village kind of a thing. And she showed a picture of this kid and he'd been working on this for two or three hours, making up more and more buildings and lakes and mountains and stuff. So that one's a special one. And those are just three of over 600 people so this is a, there's a wealth, a wealth of information and ideas for, you know, when our kids say, I don't know what to do, I'm bored. And then you think, oh gosh, I'm running out of ideas. Um, you are not going to run out of ideas with these books. So Bonnie, it is time for the parent footprint moment question. Are you ready? I am ready. Sorry, I'm gonna. I just called you Bonnie, so I know, I'm gonna stop I know. that. I and I'm like, I was looking, I was looking at my paper, and I'm like, I think it's not your name. Okay, scratch that, Bobby. It's time for the parent footprint moment question. Are you ready? I am. So tell us of a time when you became aware of yourself as a person, an individual, or a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. All right. For this, I picked a memory um, when my kids, I was a, a single parent and my kids were five and three years of age. Work, I was working full time. Kids were at their school full time. And I, this memory I'm about to share is a, an example of slowing down time in family life because things can be too hectic too stressful. So it was the beginning of the school year, kindergarten year for my son, came home from school the first couple of days, walked in the door, everybody's tired, everybody's hungry. And there were meltdowns, there were squabbles between the two siblings. And after a couple days of that, I thought, this is crazy, I've got to do something. So I slowed time down by simply changing our routine. On the fourth or fifth day, we walked in the house after school and after work, And I said, hey, let's grab a snack and let's go read books together. And previously, the kids went off in their direction and I'm busy making dinner and we're all kind of alone and on our own. In this new scenario, we grabbed some apples, some cheese. We went and sat on the couch. The kids picked up their favorite books. We sat there as a family reconnecting and snuggled up. We ate our snacks because we were all pretty crabby, I think, honestly. And then we had just a special moment of time where nothing else mattered. No laundry, no food to cook, none of the other family hectic 
ideas were calling. We just sat there reconnecting to each other. And after about 15 or 20 minutes, my son, the oldest one, he said, I'm going to go play with Legos. And my daughter, younger, said, me too, me too. And off they went. And they were happy and they were recharged. And so my moment to share is just saying that you are the keeper of time in your Mm. family and you can slow time down seemingly by just changing things up, taking a little bit of time to reconnect and you'd be surprised at how it diffuses the stress, the anxiety, the kind of pent up energy that can get going in busy family life. Mm. That's a wonderful memory and a wonderful story and um, such an important message for just the idea of slowing down time and knowing that despite all of our external stressors, we as parents are in charge of how that time goes and is perceived in our own home with our kids. Absolutely. Bobby, thank you for sharing all of your experience and wisdom with us today. Um, Please tell everyone where they can find your great new books as well as your great former books. Um, So the Unplugged Play books really are available everywhere at local booksellers. Uh, They may need to order it, but also online, you know, at all of the Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Bookshop, all of those online sellers will have Unplugged Play. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing your time with us today and um, wishing you the best during this interesting time where we all need to spend a lot of time connecting and equal time unplugged and getting back in touch with ourselves and our environment and our creativity. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. That concludes our show, everyone. Unplugged Play with Bobby Connor. You guys know what I'm going to say. You guys know what to do. The goal is for us to be the parents we want our children to become, to focus on our own awareness and intention and do our very best to be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Continue to tell everyone about the show. Subscribe and join us in our mission. And as always, I leave you with the guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave?